0: Welcome to Behind the Standards with United Rentals. This is the podcast where we discuss construction safety, typically trench excavation and confined space safety, but also other topics that deal with general job site safety as well. I am Rick Plosinski, customer training specialist. With me is an excellent guest we've had before, Eric Partenheimer. Eric, thank you again for joining me today.
1: Absolutely, Rick. Thanks for asking me, and I'm really enjoying being here.
0: So our conversation will hopefully be informative and educational so we can help you avoid injuries and fatalities while on the job site. And today, Eric and I are going to take a deeper dive into the alternate entry procedures that are listed in both the general industry and construction confined space standards. Now, in our training classes, we come across a lot of confusion about this, quote, classification of confined space that differs from the definition of permit required confined space and non-permit confined space. And actually, Eric, in our classes, we discuss alternate entry as a separate classification of confined space. But in actuality, this is more like a subcategory of the permit required confined space, is it not?
1: That's true. It it, it meets the criteria, but we only have one hazard, and that only hazard that can be in there is an atmospheric one. And the way it's defined in the book is, or by the standard is, and you can control that with continued forced air ventilation and make the space safe for entry. We'll discuss safe for entry as we go through this uh, particular procedure as we go along.
0: As OSHA has this thing kind of portioned out, if you will, there are certain conditions that need to be met inside the space. And then there are certain procedures that you need to follow. And if you can satisfy all of the conditions and follow the procedures, you can classify the space as an alternate entry. And as such, there are certain portions of the confined spaces standards that you need not have to comply with. So the first things first, kind of going over a, a little bit more and a little bit deeper dive into the conditions that need to be met. The first one I think you just alluded to was all of the physical hazards in the space have to be eliminated or isolated, or they just don't exist in the first place, but you still have one potential or actual hazard that remains. And that is
1: atmospheric hazards. And that is really when you strip it down. I mean, when we look at this first off, you know, are the three criteria met? Is it even a confined space? You know, sad, right? Size, access, duration. Large enough for me to get into, limited or restricted to get in and out, not designed to be in there long periods. All three of those are true. We have a confined space. Now, based off of our pre-entry checking, we determine there are no physical hazards, to your point. They've been eliminated, they've been isolated, or they just didn't exist in the first place. We drop our, our monitor in there, our atmospheric monitor, and it comes up dirty. Or, you know, what we get readings on there. So now we've got an atmospheric hazard. So now we start working down our checklist and we, you know, can we control it through continuous forced air ventilation alone? And if that's the case, that would meet the criteria for an alternate entry procedure. At that point, we would use a pre-entry checklist. We've determined it's now alternate entry. And then we would pull out our alternate entry form. Some of you have been around for a little while back in the day. This used to be called a C5 entry that's where it fell under in the standard. Uh, now it's just, it, it's an alternate entry procedure. So based off of that, we've got to make sure before we even do anything and, and you know, when we're looking at our procedures as the lid and just like when we're closing off a space, we need to have procedures for entry of that space also. And, you know, we're going to go through, check the area out, what's going on around the outside, Do I have other people working nearby? Are there vehicles idling? Is there pedestrians around there? Is there anything else that would make things unsafe to pull that cover? up to and including, am I getting readings when I test the, the lid? I check through the lid, uh, through the holes on a manhole cover, if that's the case, and we get readings. We want to make sure we're obviously not going to pull that lid and it's we're going to be you know engulfed in fumes. We're going to want to set a blower up there, push those fumes away from us. We can pull that lid off. and Now we can get a little bit better of, a, of an idea as to what we have going on in there.
0: Well, and that leads me to the second condition, which means you need to be able to demonstrate that the hazardous atmosphere is being controlled using a continuous forced air ventilation system which allows for safe egress from the space if that system fails.
1: Correct. And and so we would drop our, our blower in there. And again, in you know taking a look at the size of the space and to your point being able to you know to exit out of there quickly if need be uh, and making sure that that's going to be assured we can do that but we put our blower in there we'll purge it out for a while we'll let it run for a while and then we'll take the monitor and we'll drop the monitor back in there uh, the tube for the monitor we will uh, check the space out with the uh, with the monitor and if it now becomes what's called as safe for entry so we'll get into that like I said and and, and In a nutshell, when you hear that term, it's been defined as half of our PELs for a specific contaminant. So, if we're looking at hydrogen sulfide, that's the threshold of the set point on your monitor is at 10 parts per million. That now is in half or five parts per million. That's the new threshold now that would be considered as safe for entry. But, you know, stepping back just a second, you know, pulling the cover, as soon as we pull the cover, we have to immediately guard the area around the space, putting up barricades. Whether it be delineators and warning tape, uh, perhaps a manhole guard over it, but something that's going to keep people and material from being able to get kicked into the space. We've done that. We've tested our atmosphere. We've now done our. We're doing our pre-entry testing, and then we've determined now that yes, this is we've, we've got bad air in there. We've dropped our blower in there. We've perched it all out, free checked it. It is now safe for entry.
0: And remember that when you are performing that pre-entry testing, the employees, the entrants, have the right to observe that testing. I mean, it's going to be their butt that's going to be on the line when they go into these spaces. If they want to see and verify that the, that the pre-entry testing is being conducted properly, they have the right under the standard to observe that pre-entry testing.
1: And that's correct, and and even if they came in a little late, and they'd like to see it, you know, evaluated, they'll stand over our shoulder and watch us do it. They they have every right to do that, and I, if it's me, I would absolutely uh, be asking for that if I didn't watch it being done. The, the forced air ventilation system also, when we're talking about blowers and that, you know, we're always looking at that worst-case scenario. What if something were to happen with that blower? If the blower took a dive on us and it failed, uh, now what? Well, that's the one piece of equipment that's keeping that space safe for somebody to be in there. So my suggestion is, is in, and it's actually kind of written into the standard, before we allow anybody in, let's figure out how long is it going to take for them to exit. And, you know, we'll say 30 seconds in in this scenario, and I'll turn the blower off, leave the monitor in there. If I don't get any readings for a minute, two minutes, we're fine with that 30 seconds. If the the substance starts to come back after, say, 10 seconds, I start seeing an elevation on my numbers, we're going to want a second blower set up ready to go in case that first one takes a dive. It's all about redundancy on this. And and again, you know, to your point, it is a downgrade from a permit, but we have one piece of equipment that's keeping it safe. So we need to make sure that we've got that redundancy set up.
0: You cannot at any point in time be subjected to that hazardous atmosphere. So no matter what, you do need to verify prior to entry that you are going to have that requisite time in order to for people to be able to evacuate from that space should that piece of equipment fails.
1: Correct. And when we talk about the ventilation also and and you know we're still pre-entry we haven't let anybody in there but now we've decided it qualifies as as alternate entry in there as far as your entry and exit goes it's basically a safe method to enter and exit. So there is not a requirement for a retrieval system. Now, a lot of customers will have it in their written program. If they are using alternate entry, they will be using a retrieval system with it, which is perfectly fine. Uh, to your point earlier, you were saying about the permit required. There's a few things with this one that are not required. Probably a good suggestion, but they're actually not required, meaning to me, they're not citable. You know, we have to make it as safe as we can. We have our general duty clause, but if you're following the letter of this, there is not a requirement for an attendant. We could call it a whole watch. We can call it somebody else up on top who could help out, which is what we would want to do. But their job is not solely the entrant. So they could multitask in this type of an entry. They would be up there to be able to help things out. And also, if something were to go wrong, pull the person out if we had them hooked up to a retrieval system. But in this instance, a ladder is perfectly fine for entry and exit. As long as it's secured, as long as it's three feet out, uh, we can certainly do that. But if we wanted a retrieval system, we could. Keeping in mind if it's in our written program that that's how we're going to do the entry, that's what we'll need to do because that would be the citable part if we weren't utilizing that. You talk about the other thing, uh, the other stuff that's not a requirement on here, the call for rescue service. So in a permit required entry, there is that provision that says that you have to pre-identify an entry rescue team. Now, best practices should tell you if you're entering into a confined space, we probably want to know who's coming. Again, if I didn't, for whatever reason, it's not a citable offense on this one. We're on a permit required. If I didn't make that call, that would be considered citable. So there there are a few things that are a little bit different with this. And I think the safe way in and out, the lack of, or, you know, the potential that I'm not needing a, uh, an attendant is there and then also on the uh, the rescue side of it.
0: And that's bringing up something that I bring up in class as well is look you can adopt any one of these heightened safety measures that that are required for a permit required confined space apply them to your alternate entry it doesn't mean that you're reclassifying that space. It just means that you're taking additional safety precautions for your alternate entry, and you need not comply with certain portions of this uh, combined spaces standard.
1: So, you know, we've kind of talked about some of the things that you may or may not have to do, but when we go back to, to the nuts and bolts of it, uh, you know, when we talk about the continuous ventilation on there. It's very specific. And and when we talk, you know, in, in classes about the role, the different roles of a supervisor and attendant and an entrant, with the entrant, you know, they need to be trained on all aspects. As far as anything that they may conceivably be touching, we want to make sure they're trained up. And, and that comes with ventilation on this one. It's very specific. Ventilation needs to to be where the employee is or where they're going to be so if they're moving from one side of the space to the other they're going to want to push that duct out in front get some ventilation going and then make sure they're feeling air as they're working in there needs to come from a clean air source which always elicits a smile or two in a classroom because it seems like such a no-brainer but it's- Quite a few times where we've seen it, the blower will be set up. And if it's hot or cold out, what's the vehicles doing in the area? Yeah. They're idling away. Where's that exhaust going? Right into the space. So, you know, before we allow anybody in, put your monitor next to the intake. Make sure I'm pulling in clean air and maybe continuously. Maybe that's part of my procedures on top is every once in a while, we'll just double check it and and, and, and make sure. I'm just looking around the area. I don't have any potential. The continuous monitoring needs to be in there and that's the key word is continuously uh, we'll leave the monitor in there it stays in there as long as the blower is uh, in fact the blower one when we're, when we're exiting the space is the last piece of equipment that comes out uh, the entrant will come out we'll pull the monitor out we'll pull the ladder out we'll pull the blower out once the blower's out the lid can then go back on any hazards that may come up during there, obviously we want everybody out right away. You know, whether it's the entrant who has, has figured out maybe something's going on, the whole watch up on top, uh, maybe they're starting to get an elevation because maybe the work that we're doing is starting to overpower the blower. So if that's the case, we'll pull everybody out get a larger blower. If that's not feasible because the duct is going to be too big and it's going to inhibit their ability to get themselves out of there, we're going to have to figure something out. There are things called diffusers, which actually would take the duct and then at the point of the manhole, it actually smalls it up to about a four or five inch uh, little area and then the duct would be connected down below from that. So that diffuser allows for somebody to get in and out, but it still maintains that good forced air coming in the space got to be reevaluated. you know, how did the hazard develop? So, if we did have something develop, and again, we're going to pull everybody out, it, it could be, again, our work is overwhelming it, or maybe it's just there's something else that's being introduced into the space. And then we need to make sure that we take measures to protect the employees from that hazard prior to reentry.
0: And remember, too, that if you cannot correct those hazards, if you cannot make sure that your employees are protected from those hazards, then you will have to treat it as a full-blown permit required confined space.
1: Yeah, and that's correct. And I think this is also one, too, that people will think, well, if I'm controlling the air with the forced air, this is now a non-permit. And that's not the case. This is an alternate entry. It has its own specifications. It is not all the way down to a non-permit entry. A lot of the similarities are with it, but it's not a non-permit entry. It is an alternate entry.
0: The other point that we need to make, and, and this kind of ties into that, is if entry is needed to eliminate any of those physical hazards in the space, you need to treat it as, again, a full-blown permit-required confined space until those physical hazards are eliminated. The hazardous atmosphere is eliminated. Then you can go ahead and treat it as an alternate entry confined space, as long as you can not only meet the other conditions inside the space, but you can follow these procedures that that you're discussing.
1: Yeah. And, and we're maintaining, I believe is the way it's written. We're maintaining those those safer entry conditions. And, and that's exactly right. And, and so you've got your procedures, you know, to enter, like we talked about procedures to exit and that. But uh, above all on all this is remembering that if you didn't write it down, it didn't happen. So if I've got a pre-entry checklist, I go through, we've determined it's a confined space. We've determined it qualifies for alternate entry. I'll have my pre-entry checklist that backs me up for that it's documented and then we'll pull out the alternate entry form and that's basically going to be the space the location uh, who's designating it as an alternate entry and then we're gonna have spaces on there for our continual monitoring entries on there so when we decide every 15 minutes every 20 minutes every 10 minutes whatever the time frame is we're gonna initials time what the monitor read. So now if we get somebody who comes up uh, like compliance officer and ask for, have, you know, have you been checking it? Yes. We check every 15 minutes. Can I see the results? Certainly. I have my form right here. If I don't have that form, that never happened in their eyes. So it, it is definitely in, a, in all of our best interests to make sure that we document.
0: One of these days I am going to sit down and I am going to count how many times in this standard OSHA says document, 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 because it is a constant theme within the confined spaces standard that says you need to document it.
1: Yeah. In, in fact, in here, it's, it, it at the beginning of this uh, the, this part about alternate entry, it actually says that you have to be able to prove that the demonstrations are met, that that what they're asking you to do is being met, which in a roundabout way is telling you you need a form. And at the end of this, it actually says written certification, who's designating it, the time, the date, and then we'll have all our entries on there.
0: The biggest thing to keep in mind, really, about this is, again, there need to be certain physical conditions that need to be met inside the space, and then the alternate entry procedures need to be followed. And if you can satisfy all of those conditions and follow all of the procedures, then really the, the portions of the standard that you need not comply with is having a permit required confined space program, because technically speaking, it's not, you know, you don't need to have a permit. You don't need to follow the permitting process. Again, you don't need to have a permit. Uh, As you stated earlier, you don't need to have people specifically performing the duties of the authorized entrant attendant and the entry supervisor as it is stated in the standard. And I think one one of the other ones and probably the biggest confusion out there is the Rescue and emergency services portion technically does not have to be followed. But as we pointed out earlier, it's probably a good best practice to consider, even if you're just going to be using non-entry rescue methods, that might be a good best practice to have along with an attendant outside your alternate entry confined space.
1: Yeah. Be, and, and to that, I, I think somebody could argue with us and probably successfully that, you know, under the general duty clause, I have to provide a safe work environment. And to me, part of that is, is if you're going to put somebody into a small space, how are we getting them out of there? The going in part's the easy part. How are we getting them out of there? So I, I think just the best practice would be to pre-identify that because, you know, people get into that habit, Nine one one. And well, that's great, but nine one one is probably going to get you the closest station, who may or may not be, and probably not be trained in confined space entry. All we've done now is eaten up time. They're going to roll up, take a look, can't go in. It's a confined space. We have to call whoever it is. If we've had that pre-identified and just handy wherever it is that we're working at, just in case something goes wrong, absolutely we can get you know we can get the right people that are out there.
0: So the bare minimum isn't really the best practice. It's just the bare minimum of what's required. You really do need to consider the job that you're going to be performing, the type of space you're going to be going into, what type of access and egress do you have from that space in order to really identify the hazards associated with that space. And likewise, what safety precautions should you be following, even though they might not necessarily be required at the end of the day if something were to happen general duty clause says you did not maintain a safe and healthy working environment for your employees.
1: Listening to us talk on this, you know, we're we're talking about, you know, well, you don't have to do this, you don't have to do that. That that's well that being true, it's also if you look at it on the flip side about being able to provide that safe environment by pre-identifying. You know, the things that we're saying, well, look, you don't need to do this. And I guess to clarify it, it's it's they wouldn't be citable. Unless it was in your written program, and if it's not in there, you know, letting people have that, that ability to make that, is it a true permit? And if it's not, could it be an alternate entry? Could it be a non-permit entry? And being able to use the three tools that were given, I think is going to make the, uh, make the entries and time and production stay compliant, but also speed things up too.
0: And remember that it's the conditions inside the space that will dictate the classification of that space. You can you can manipulate it to a point by eliminating hazards. But at the end of the day, once you've eliminated all of the hazards that you can eliminate, if you still have some of those other issues, you do have to classify it based on the conditions and the ultimate conditions that you can control inside that space.
1: And and just like with with any of them. These are living, breathing, evolving things. So what starts out as an alternate entry to, to what we talked about earlier, the work I'm doing now is overwhelming the blower system. I can't get it controlled to safe for entry levels. It's going to move into a permit required. So and the air that we're pushing in there that is controlling the atmosphere is not making it a non-permit entry.
0: So this has been Behind the Standards with United Rentals. If you have any questions about this topic or have any suggestions about other topics that you want to be discussed, feel free to send us an email to urtspodcast at ur.com. For additional content and training information, go to trenchsafetyevents.com. On behalf of Eric and myself, thanks for listening. Have a great day and stay safe.